I'm so excited to be talking to you and ending our series on Immortal. And I get to talk about heaven, which is a really nice part of this whole series. And when we talk about what defines us, something that defines us is where we will spend our eternity. It makes us special. It's a very unique part of being a Christian. Most people walk around this world and they have these three boxes in their head. The first box, it's like right here, it's very prevalent. It's the urgent box. It's always on our mind. It's right there in the front. I've got to do this and this and this. You wake up thinking about what I need to get done before tomorrow. You wake up thinking, okay, I've got to make the lunches for my kids. I've got to, I got to get this done before I go to work. I got to, it just goes on and on. The urgent box is always just booming. I know exactly. It's just in your head. But right behind the urgent box is that not urgent box. In the not urgent box is all those things that we know we want to get to, and we're excited to get to them. Well, some of them. It's like the, the weeds and the tree that you want to move in the backyard or the, the book that you really want to read that everybody's been talking about. You just have all these not urgent items that you're like, once I get a little bit of time, I just need a little, a little bit of leeway here, and then I'm going to get into that not urgent box. But it seems to keep delaying and delaying and delaying. But somewhere way back over here, way, I don't know what part of the brain that is, but it's the when I retire box. And in the when I retire box are all those things that you're like, these are important things, but I don't really have to focus on them right now. You know, my will, my trust fund, that vacation across Europe that I really want to take, all those things, the RV, I don't know, whatever it is, you've got it all in this when I retire box. Our heavenly dwelling place, where we're going to spend eternity, is shoved into that last box for some reason. We always are like, yeah, I'm really excited about heaven, but I don't think about it much. It's sort of in that when I retire, because it's part of death, and I don't really know how that all, you know, that's so far away. But when we wait on the when I retire box, a funny thing happens. A lot of times if we wait to deal with the retirement stuff, it is actually too late when it arrives. We end up not being able to retire because we've never really thought about some of those boxes. And heaven is very similar. If we wait until it actually comes, which could be very well by surprise, it could be too late. But here's the kicker. And this is the point of the whole message today. So if you get this, you can just leave. If we will focus on the ultimate finish line, what heaven is and what it is for our life, it changes today. It makes today better. Apostle Paul, he was somebody who didn't wait until the end to finally get this all together. He spoke of it often. He said, I strain to reach the end of this race and to receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven I love the way the message says the same verse. It reads it like this. I've got my eye on the goal. He's got his eye on what the ultimate finish line is. God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I am off and running and I'm not turning back. Let's keep focus on that goal. Those of us who want everything that God has for us. I love that phrase because it pulls it back into the today. Last week, Pastor Larry, he spoke of a verse from the message and it said, when you have everything all together, Let's party. It's such a great way to say that. And I'm surprised it says that, although not really if I've read the message. But it's so funny because I'm like, yeah, if you got all together, it sort of makes life, let's party, let's move on. This one's all about 
everything that God has for me. I want it now because I have my eye on the goal. I'm excited about the goal. It's a bonus for me. It's not something where there's, there's this death thing that everyone has that's going to come. Most of you won't escape it. But that's a bonus because of what heaven is. And because I know that bonus is out there, I'm going to actually live life better today. It's, and I want everything, God. I want the joy, the peace, all the promises of the Bible. You have so many promises in there, Lord. I want that in the today. Help me as I find these things in my life today. Paul speaks of it as a race. Imagine that you're in a race. But I tell you, okay, I want you to do the best and I want you to win. But when that gun goes off and you, you take off, I'm not going to tell you where the finish line is. Would that be a strange race to watch? It could be awesome at first, but after a while, I feel like it would get really boring fast because they're all just running and you're like, that's an interesting choice. But if you think about life, it would be so much worse to be in that race. And yet, so many people are like that. They, have, they don't have any sort of heaven out there. And so they're just running. And they're running at full speed because the urgent box is right here. So every day they're just running and running. And it looks like this very frantic race. The frantic race is when you wake up and you've got the list. And you're like, I've got to get through this list. I can win today if I get through this list. But you've woken up and done that every single day. And you just feel frantic. And you want to stop and just rest and be like, I don't like this race. And God is saying, good, you're not supposed to be running that race. God has a plan for your life. And if you will keep the end in mind, the ultimate finish line in mind, it's such a better race. Second Corinthians 4.16 says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Do you feel renewed day by day? If you don't, you're probably running a very frantic race. You feel anything but renewed day by day, but that's what we're supposed to be feeling. For our light and momentary troubles, do you feel like your troubles are light and momentary? Not many people feel that way because the, the finish line, they don't have that in their mind. That's not in the urgent box. Our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The ultimate finish line in heaven is unseen. It's so difficult to even describe it. We're going to try, but it's so difficult to describe it so it's unseen. But that's what we have to keep our focus on. And if we will... We'll get out of the frantic race. Some of you feel like you're in a frustrated race. The frustrated race is when you have been running and running and running, and you feel like this path you are on, it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere, and it's frustrating and it's exhausting, and you just want to be done with this race. There's a quote by uh, uh, Pastor Vance Hafner. He says, I'm homesick for heaven. That's the hope of dying. Wait, it's the hope of dying that's kept me alive for so long. That the way we get out of the frustrated race is we realize that God says, stop being frustrated and figure out what my plan is for your life. Run after my plan. It doesn't get you excited about death. 
All it does is make you understand what death means. And there is a bonus of death and what heaven is in our life. And because we have that in our mind, we can live life to the fullest today and ask God for the best of today. I've been joking around with my wife this week about this phrase, it doesn't get better than this. I keep like grabbing a cup of coffee and go, babe, it doesn't get better than this. This is awesome. And the reason I I started joking with her is because a friend of mine on Facebook put this picture up. And this isn't the actual picture, but it's very close. I didn't want to put his face on here. Felt bad for him. But he goes, it doesn't get any better than this. And I'm like, fishing? I like fishing. I, I go once every five or so years. It's nice. But it doesn't get any better than fishing. And I just started laughing out loud. Like not putting LOL and I'm not really laughing, but really I was laughing out loud. And I'm just like, this is hilarious. And I started thinking about it, you know, even on our best day, everything's perfect on that day. There's no lines. You just walked up to every ride. Nothing was broken. The kids never complained. You went from ride to ride. They weren't asking for stuff. They said, hey, Dad, the apples and carrots you brought, those are perfect. (laughs) Great life choice. It was an awesome day. It doesn't get any better than that day until you wake up the next day and realize, I now have to start paying off the loan that I took out on my house to go. And each day that you would say, it doesn't get better than this, but then you have to wake up and go to work. You have to wake up and go to school. This is a life in which we have these moments, but it always reverts back to the grind. And there is a point, there is a place in which we're going to go to, in which each day is better, and each day grows on itself. And you don't have to take spiritual retreats and get away and just find yourself again and just have a quiet moment. You get to walk out and be with your father, your creator, the one that called you a masterpiece, and lay in his arms and say, Dad, I just want to rest for a moment. That's a really good day. And these days begin to grow on each other, It's an amazing place. It's so hard to describe, but that's the imagery that we need to keep in our mind. There's a card, I think it was on your chair, or you got it from an usher, that I asked them to give you today. And on this card, we kept it very simple because I just want one concept to come across. It does get better than this. There is a point in which it gets better. And if you have a great life, everything is perfect right now, fantastic, it gets better. But if you are going through someone something right now, and it's a struggle, it gets better than this. Put that in your wallet. Put it on your, your bathroom window, window, mirror, or somewhere where you're going to see it. Maybe your car dashboard, right in front of the miles per hour or something. But keep it at the forefront in the urgent box of it gets better. And if I will stay focused on the end, my today will grow. The verse on the back is, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you keep this imagery in your head, keep this finish line in your head, start to think about where it is. Where is this place that we're going to? If I was to ask my kids, they would probably say up. They would just point. They would say, you know, something Something above us, and you know what? It's actually a very good answer. It's biblically correct because most verses use that kind of language. 
The one here is, Lord, I look up to you, up to heaven where you rule. When Jesus was praying, he did it. He, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, and he looked up toward heaven, and he asked God's blessing on the food. We see the imagery constantly. It was in verses at the beginning of this message. Up into the heavens. Up means higher. It's higher than anything that we've experienced. It's so hard to talk about heaven because we haven't experienced it. It's higher than what we've experienced. It's, it goes beyond this current world, beyond anything that we're going to be dealing with here, beyond to a new place, a new heaven and a new earth. It's above what we're currently facing. It's so hard to pull ourselves out of what we're currently facing, but this is what we get to do. It's above the pain, the wrongs, the temptations, the commitments, the habits, the trials, the tests, everything that we constantly have to deal with today. It goes beyond these things. I hate the way that movies describe heaven because it's always this really white, clean, bare place. Like moms must love the heavens in the movies because it's just clean and everything is clear. And that's great, but it's not the kind of heaven that I see described in the Bible. In fact, it calls it a new earth, constantly calling it a new earth. Well, the earth has vibrant colors and mountains, and oceans, and rivers. It's, it's a beautiful place. In fact, if we took all the bad stuff out of earth, this would be pretty awesome, just to be able to explore and, and go places without hurting ourselves, or having to worry about where we're going to leave our keys and whatnot. We just get to, we get to just explore all that it is, and I believe that our senses grow. Like, the colors are probably higher. The hearing is higher. We see Jesus when he returns after death. He returns with a new body. And he's eating with his bros and hanging out and having an awesome time. Yet he's beaming through walls and bouncing around different places. I'm like, this body that he has is pretty awesome. And it's been lifted and raised to a new level of what it can do. It's, it sounds incredible. And I can't wait. It's vibrant. And it's beautiful. Luke 21, 28. It says this. When things get to be tough down here on earth, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. This is what we keep in our mind. And if we will keep it in the front of our mind, it will change today. As we think about it, it's also a place called home. When we think about home, think about when you come home from a vacation. Vacations are a lot of fun, but when you walk in your house, there's a little bit of a feeling like, oh, it's good to be home. I get to be in my bed tonight. I'm kind of excited about that. I mean, until you look around and realize, oh, yeah, I forgot we left and did nothing before we went on vacation, so the house is a wreck, and you want a vacation from your vacation. That happens. Or think about, like, when you go home for Christmas or Easter, and maybe it's the home you grew up in, and you walk in, and you're like, oh, it's so nice to be home, until you're there a few hours, and you're like, oh, that's right. I remember why I moved away, far, far away. But those, those tiny glimpses, we only get to feel that feeling for seconds, maybe minutes. But there is a place. There is a place in which we will be home all the time. We will finally have those glimpses happen forever. That sounds incredible. That's a peace that I don't even think we can understand how good it's going to feel to walk in and know that you're home and you're always home. In Hebrews, 
They were talking about, they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. They were searching for it, but never could quite get there. In Philippians, it says, but our homeland is in heaven. The, the disciples started realizing that they'll never be home. And so they started calling us ambassadors, which says a lot about what we're supposed to be doing while we're here. But it also says you're not home. You're far from your home, but someday you get to go home. And it gets even better than this. Psalm 1611, you have made known to me the path of your life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When we're home, it's a place of joy and eternal pleasures, eternal, forever pleasures. It sounds really, really good. And if we'll keep it at the front of our mind, we'll also be a place in which our loved ones are with us. And when we think about this, there's a couple things that we have to know that we can actually take with us into heaven. One of them that's key is relationships. We get really sidetracked about relationships. But if we will understand what it is, it's like when I do a marriage, whenever I have a, a wedding, I always talk about this in the ceremony. And I say, marriage was a gift from God. And what he was doing was he wanted you to experience the closeness that he wants with his church. In fact, he said it, that you love your bride as I love my church. And what he was getting at was not this building, you know, I love all the church buildings that you have created. No, it's the people that are in that have said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I am a Christian. And he wanted you to understand when you say that, you are my bride, and I love you so deeply that I'm going to give you a gift, this marriage, to show you the depth of my love. So you start knowing each other's thoughts. You start loving this person beyond anyone. You would die for this person. It's one of the reasons that our enemy attacks marriage first. It's the, the biggest thing attacked. Marriage and sex, he goes after it and makes sure you have a twisted view of it because he knows it was a gift so that we would understand the love we have with our Savior. And when we enter heaven, those relationships continue, but not in marriage. It's much different because the bride is returning to its groom. And we will be so close with our Creator that the love, the different stuff that we had here that he gave as an example no longer is needed. But the relationships that you have created last forever. In Revelation, it describes this scene. And this scene is, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He was describing a scene in which the colors were there, the languages were there, the tribes were there. So we keep all these, these identities of ourself that we have now. You take the identity of who you are and you add it to your new body that you are given. The point of this, the reason I am stressing all this, is most of us live our life more like this picture. This, this is kind of the... Uh, the way most people are living. I, nine out of ten, I would say, they believe that when they die, they're going to have this very large U-Haul of all the stuff that they've attained throughout their life. Because even if we know that's ridiculous, we still live our life this way. When we know, we know it's silly, we can't take it with us, but we can take relationships. And yet, even this week, I was convicted through this. I have a friend that really made me mad. And so I'm like, 
I even told my wife, I'm never talking to them again. I've, I've tried, I'm done. And the problem is I would really do that because I'm stubborn. But I thought about it as I'm writing this sermon. I'll work for months, maybe years, to have a really nice table in my house, but I won't spend an hour on the phone fixing a relationship. I won't do that when that relationship is going to go with me into heaven and I'm going to actually be with this person for the rest of my entire eternity. And some of you are thinking of people going, no, I don't want that person. But we really, really have to back up and go, no, unless I'm planning on a casket having a U-Haul behind it, I need to focus on what actually goes with me. The other thing we send ahead is our ministry. This one's really interesting. I've studied this one deeply because I'm feeling like that's something I'm involved in. And the reason I got into ministry is so I could help my heavenly... No, I'm just kidding. Being facetious. There's this, these verses, though, that describe the jewels on your crown, the, the positions of authority and jobs, and you, what you do here actually grows what you have there. But it's so hard for us to talk about it because when we think of a job, we can't help but pull it out of our current reality. And when we think of authority, we can't help but pull it out of our current reality. And we don't like those things. They're more of a means to an end. But when we talk about heaven, you're talking about your passion, your strengths, and how God designed you. And so it's different. But what you do here matters and affects your future and what that looks like. The point being, whenever you go to someone and you share your faith, you share who Christ is, it doesn't even matter what they do. It, they could like spit on you and walk away. That part is between them and God. Every verse speaks of that. Only whatever happens with them is between them and God. All you have to do is share and you sent something ahead. I don't know how it works, but something grew when you shared. We should really be walking around and just sharing with every person we see because you're building up something in heaven. I mean, it should be the, what was on our mind constantly because you're actually growing something. You might want to get a little better at it, though, so you're not just sharing it and walking on. I don't care what you do. But every time you serve for God, it does something in the future. Like, it doesn't matter if people see you. It's kind of why we shouldn't be thinking, like, I don't care that people see so that I'm, like, being humble. Instead, you should be, I don't care if people see because I'm really growing my future place. It's always selfish, Right? But you're thinking about it in these terms of whenever I serve for Christ, I'm expanding something in the future. I'm sending something ahead. And it's one of the few things you can do to actually grow who your future is. When we think about this finish line, the ultimate finish line, the, the first thing on people's mind is usually all about Fluffy. Will Fluffy be in heaven with me? It's like the number one question I always get. That's fluffy right there. The family pet. My kids asked me. That was the first question they asked me about heaven. The thing about fluffy is he never puts his paws together and has this moment with God that says, I, fluffy, accept you as my savior in my life. Fluffy doesn't do that. There's no soul, especially if it's a cat. There's no soul <laughs> in these things. So they don't have to have redemption and these moments, but we do learn that it's a new earth, and there's a lot of animals involved in earth, so it's obviously there. In fact, the verses speak of the lion and the lamb being together and laying together. It's just going to be incredible. So we know there are a ton of animals, but the family pet is the question. 
And there's no verse about that. So instead, you have to go to the verse of there's no tears, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's no crying there. So either you walk in and you don't really remember Fluffy, which is very likely, or Fluffy's there. So rest easy because there's no tears, there's no pain. Let's move on. (laughs) Philip Yancey writes this, such a great quote. A strange fact about modern American life is that although 81% of us believe the afterlife, according to George Gallup, no one talks about it. Christians believe that we'll spend eternity in a splendid place called heaven. Isn't it bizarre to simply ignore the fact as if it doesn't matter? It's so bizarre. We, all, we believe in this place. We know that it's great, yet we rarely think about it. We rarely make it a part of our today. And it should be always on our mind because it affects today. C.S. Lewis writes this, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next world. It should cause things to happen in the today. There's really three major things that it should cause. The first one is you should remove all doubt about going to heaven. If you're still here in this room right now and you're not sure that you'll be in heaven, I would take care of that. That should be number one before you leave this place. I'm, I'm going to take care of that. 1 John 5.11, it says, This is what God told us. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. There's so many difficult sermons about subject matters in the Bible in which it's really hard to talk about because there's just lots of difficult parts of it. How to get to heaven is not one of them. It's so simply said, whoever has the Son has life. But whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This particular subject matter is one that is very simple. If you have it, you're in. I think most of the time we think of heaven as like this really long line before you get into the the door. Because isn't life all about lines? Why wouldn't there be another line when we die, right? I agree. So you're in this long line and St. Peter's at the end with this book and he's like, goes into it starts weighing our good versus our bad and it's a really large book and there's some scales here and it's like oh as it goes back and forth and we're sitting there and he's got this huge lever with a red ball and he's like ah and this hell shaft opens and we fall that's the image in our head and even though we want to say no i i get it we always come back to the second attack of our enemy which is we somehow have to earn our way in That's the second. The first was marriage. The second is this attack that you have to earn it. And so we're always thinking about earning our way into this place when God says it's perfect. If you have one sin in your entire life, just one, a thought, you thought a sin in your head at some point in your entire life, you're out because I've created a perfect place. And if you're not perfect, you're not in. That's what he says. And then he says, but I'll give you a way out. I will give you my son on a cross that will wipe the slate clean. I will judge him and not you. It's the ultimate fast pass is what he's given us. And don't we love fast passes? Ephesians 2.8 is our fast pass. I mean that you have been saved by grace through believing. You did not save yourselves. It is a gift from God. It is not the result of your own efforts, so you cannot brag about it. 
You have been given a gift, but you have to accept it. Take care of that one. The second thing it should cause us to do as we think about the ultimate finish line is replacing our anxieties and our worries with thoughts of heaven. 2 Corinthians 3, we have small troubles. I know they don't feel small. Small troubles in comparison to heaven for a while now. But they are helping us to gain an eternal glory that is much greater than the troubles. So we set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. It's something you do. You can't earn your way into heaven. There's nothing you can, you can do to get into heaven. But there are things you can do to make today better. Things that will make today grow in your life. And one of them is setting your eyes not on what you see, but on what is unseen. If you will set your eyes and put the ultimate finish line first, you will make today a lot better. And those anxieties and those worries will begin to become a little bit less. Colossians 3 says it like this. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Something you have to do. Again, you're not earning your way into heaven. You're making today better. Fill your thoughts Don't spend time worrying about the things down here. Good way to do it is is picture a vacation that you have been saving up for. Next summer, it's that dream vacation. Maybe it's the European vacation that you've always dreamed about. If you know that's coming next summer, what would you be doing today? How would you be preparing for this trip? You'd probably be telling a couple people, kind of excited about it, making you a better person in today. You'd start sharing it. You'd make sure everything was done. You don't want the trip to come along and you still have work to do. So you start making sure that you've done everything to make it the best vacation ever. Which we start thinking about what heaven is. It should make today better because you're working. You're a better worker. You want to get everything done. Your family, you're not going to put the baby outside and be like, well, going on vacation. You know, you'd be making sure your family's in all the right places. You'd be going and talking to them. Are they going to be there? Practicing. Maybe you're going to another country, so you're learning a language, learning how to dance for your wife. But what is it that you're going to be doing in heaven that you can be practicing now? I mean, relationships and things that you can already be working on. It would make today better if we stay more focused on the ultimate finish line. And the third thing, it should cause us to refocus on treasures in heaven. Unless you really believe you are taking a U-Haul to that gravesite, and if you do, okay, this isn't going to be relevant. But most of us are starting to realize that's not a reality. So where should I be refocusing my treasure? Matthew 6:19 says, "Store your treasures in heaven, where they cannot be destroyed by moss or rust, where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is." There's two things there. Put it where it lasts. Always be putting your treasure where it will last and where your heart is. If you start putting your treasures into heaven, your heart will begin to move towards heaven. We have to refocus where our treasure is. That's what thinking about heaven does in our life. There's a a movie called Schindler's List, and it has this ending scene that pastors have used for many years, so I feel like you've all seen it, but I couldn't help not use it because he's at the end of this movie, And Germany's been taken over, and he's heading to Poland because he was originally from Poland. And he walks out, and there's 1,100 Jews there. And it's all the the people that he saved because he put them to work. And it finally dawns on him what the real finish line was. Because when it started, it was about money. And he sort of was getting it on the way that he wanted to save certain people. And at the end, he realizes, oh, 
I finally understand. I could have done so much more. And he pulls out this pen, and it must have been a really nice pen because he's like, this would have saved two more lives. I don't know what that pen was. Then he looks over at this car, and he says, 10, maybe 11 more lives if I would have given this car. He got to the end and finally realized what the real finish line was. We need to do that way before that point. Revelation 21 is our finish line. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It's the ultimate finish line. And that's what we are running towards. Keep it in the urgent box every day. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you haven't addressed number one, if you were to die, you're not sure that you would be in heaven. That's the one you want to make sure you've taken care of. I'm not going to pull you up front. I'm not going to do anything weird or embarrass you, but I want you to take a first step with God. Say, God, I want to make sure that I will be there in the end. And if you're in this room and you're saying that and you want to say, pray for me, I want you to quickly put your hand up. Say, that's me. I want to make sure I'm there. Let's quickly put it up and leave it up for a second. God, I, I pray for these that have lifted up their hand. Lord, give them the peace of knowing that you are there as they pray to you and accept you as their Savior, as they take a moment to put you first in their life, as they begin to walk a path that seeks you every day. God, I pray you would bless that and give them a peace of knowing that they will be with you forever. And God, I pray that we would stay focused on what truly matters and give you our everything every day. In Jesus' name, amen.